once again, we are live here at Not A Real Libertarian Studios and Not Real Liberty Station. Uh, today I've got with me late man Will. I've What's got up? Mr. Leach. Hey there. Both of my co-hosts who have somehow been uh, Stockholm Syndrome into doing this ridiculous show with me. <laughs> and uh, our special guest tonight, Mr. Charles Griffin. Thank you. Hey, Charles. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. And I'm sorry. I'll tell you guys a little bit. I met Charles at an Oklahoma 2A rally at the state capitol. And here I are kind of leaning in the corner and we're chatting it up a little bit. Then I tell him, hey, I'm with the Oklahoma Libertarian Party. He says, hey, well, I'm I'm mostly a libertarian, not fully, but kind of tell us a little bit about your beliefs, Charles. What, What Where do you stand? Where do you see yourself? Well, I've had a – I'm registered Republican, but I'm the older I've got, the more of just freedom of let me do my thing, you do your thing. As long as you don't – I don't inv- uh, impede on you and you don't impede on me, that's it. Amen. Just – you know, that's that's that's, a, that's libertarianism in a nutshell. It's it's you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. If we converge, it's uh, consensual, and we both agree on it. Right. You know, I might say my piece, but you know, or I'm gonna walk off from you if you you know sound like an idiot. <laughs> it just it just it just doesn't. I you know I my family were Democrats, diehard Democrats. I was supposedly baptized a good Democrat. Uh, and my grandparents had a fit because they're the ones who raised me most of my life because I voted, I was card-carrying Republican. And it was just, the first time I voted was uh, 1988. I think it was uh, when George Bush became president. I was in Okinawa, Japan. Had did my absentee ballot. I can't. That was the start of a long learning process. It's well, funny because you know. Say, oh, go ahead, man. I will say I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but myself, Will, and Rich, all three came from the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party to the Libertarian Party at different points in our lives. But um, it really does take, I think there's some catalyst to where you are like, okay, this shit's not right. This, this is broken. There's something wrong with this entire thing. Um, And for me, it was really the Trump presidency. It was the entirety of it. At first, you know, my, my personal goal was, Hey, maybe the guy will break the system because he wants to. And then maybe it was like, well, maybe he'll break it because he doesn't know what he's doing. And we'll eventually get, you know, we'll lose funding for like the ATF and the CIA and stuff like this because he'll lose the paycheck and just like lose it under the rug or something. He'll he'll like be talking about uh, lying Ted and lose that check or something. Didn't happen, but whatever. No, I was hoping the same thing. I wanted I wanted Trump to destroy the system, even though I was a libertarian long before Trump. I was optimistic once he got the nomination. I was like, well. Maybe he'll shake some things up and actually represent the people and be kind of who he sold himself as. But 
I got to stop buying into politicians bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I was too cynical about anybody who wanted to be. I figure anybody who wants to be president must be a psychopath. And, and the better they are at getting there, probably the worse psychopath they are. So, so luckily, lucky for me, I'd, uh, I'd already shut, uh, I'd already shut all that down long before. Well, I shouldn't say long before Trump, but uh, it's been over 10 years for me. At the very least, a narcissist, most likely a psychopath. Iraq, Iraq hmm. did it for me. I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Iraq did it for me. Hmm. Yeah, that's. You know, because, hey, we're still looking for those WMDs uh, that <laughs> any day now are magical. Yeah, the, apparently they got the best cloaking technology any any military's ever seen. Stealth. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, Charles, let's uh, let's get in some uh, some meat and potatoes here, as you will. Dude. Uh, so you were a you were prior service. You want to walk us through a little bit of that, you know, kind of give us some background. Uh. Marine Corps from 8791, uh, infantry stationed in, uh, in Hawaii, Desert Storm Vet. Got out, uh, joined the National Guard, Oklahoma National Guard, 91 to 94. Then from 94 to 97, was uh, active duty Army at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, infantry again. And then uh, after 9-11, I joined the Navy Reserves as a my rate was a fireman, but I was working on my master at arms rating. Hmm. We got was, uh, branch represented. We got two army, one air force, and the other two branches and one guy. Yeah, as <laughs> yeah, as yeah, said, glutton for punishment. Yes, uh, uh, Rich has been in. Well, we're not going to talk about that, but. Uh, well, uh, Charles, he's been in every branch there is, and yeah, he must hate himself or something. I mean, going from Marine Corps to Army Reserve or Army uh, National Guard and then to the Navy, I mean, I can't think of a better way to, to hate yourself than that. I mean, I drink heavily, and I, I, I don't think I see that in my future. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, it's, it wasn't a bad deal. I mean, uh, had some problems that went through. I mean, if I was uh, after Desert Storm, had a run into a few problems, and if I'd have been in a lot straighter, I probably had a better career, and would Army would have been a lot nicer. But it was mostly my making. I'm gonna have to say, I'm you know, because military is the military, the green weenie's the green weenie. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. who's swinging it. Oh yeah. Well, you uh, after that, you uh, said that you worked uh, the Oklahoma prison system, right? Yeah, I did a year down at Just Done Correctional Center, which is uh, in Taft, just west of Muskogee. And then uh, five years here at Oklahoma State Penitentiary here in McAllister. Hmm. Okie from Muskogee. So tell us about uh, that prison culture. I know you talked to me a little bit about it in the Oklahoma 2A rally, and I was fascinated just to hear about the way the guards interact with the prisoners and kind of how you guys have that culture. And basically if you get out of line, you know, it's a lot like the military. It sounded like, but yeah, please elaborate on that. It's going in. uh, Like I'm going to go from uh, walking in at OSP. You're walking in uh, through behind usually 11 to 12 doors, steel doors either uh, 
manual uh, locked gates that you open and close or that are automatically electric gates and everything. <laughs> and uh, then the inmates are behind about the 13th, 12th to 13th door. Um, the first time I went to work at OSP, um, there was, we used to have on shift about 144 officers. Uh, when I left in October of, uh, 2005, we were down to 44 people per shift. Damn. Staffed. Per, per how many prisoners roughly was that? Uh, I run, let's see, on, I've done H unit, which was, uh, the one that's underground where death rows at, um, oh. It's also where they got a AS, which is administrative segregation. And then you got your uh, DU, which is a disciplinary unit, which uh, was jail for the inmates that messed up, that broke the rules. Um, I've worked DU, AS. I didn't work. I've worked death row a couple of times. To me, those guys were more babied than anybody else in that prison. Um, uh, it was just, it, it's a culture that you have to get used to because a lot of it is you go off your work. You don't make promises you don't keep, uh, cause you know, these politicians talk about, I promise to do this. I promise to do that. No, that'll get you killed. You promise to do something and then you don't. And it causes, you know, uh, money, family, visitations. That's for inmates. That's the big thing. Because mm. money for your canteen, magazine you know, and stuff for your food, and getting your TV when you get your level. Uh, family visits. You know they usually get them about once a week. Some some get it once a month. And if you screw them on visits. Intentionally, you get ready to get in a fight. You'll get hit in the mouth. You'll get something choked at you. Just done uh, was open squad base. Uh, it's like an old uh, school almost, you know, just open bay dorms and everything. Hmm. Uh, I've seen it. Well, you've got an officer that thinks he's badass, walk across there, and they chunk double-A batteries at you. At yeah. your head, I mean – Baseball slinging 70, 80 mile an hour coming at you. Jeez. No, we just had in Oklahoma County, we just had a uh, jailer taken hostage just a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago. But I mean, I've seen that. I am pretty feel safe. You know, you've got your weapons and stuff, you got your baton and whatever. You need to keep yourself safe. But I mean, that's all an illusion, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Why are you going to carry the baton or anything like that? That's going to get taken away from you. Uh, I work You're talking kitchen. 50 on one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'd have 50 inmates, one officer out on the yard uh, walking out there. I mean, you don't – you try not to go by yourself, you know, but shit, when you're shorthanded and, or you're pulling a double shift because they were forcing you to stay over, you do what you got to do. Uh, it was, I worked in the kitchen. 
they got knives and things. You know, the knife was on a cable on the lock. If they wanted it, they could get it. Mm. You know, I was sitting down there one day. And, uh, one of the inmates asked me, it was, uh, says, what would you do if we took over the uh, kitchen? I said, I'd hand you my keys. I'd walk in the office, sit down and call them and tell them, y'all's taking over the kitchen and uh, start negotiating, seeing what they want. And they go, and I said, but the problem will come. I said, when you bust in, take the keys and get into the locker and start cooking the hamburgers and french fries. I said, I don't get my cut. I said, I'm going to start whooping somebody's ass around. (laughs) You know, Uh, (laughs) they're like, you ain't even right. You know, it was. What else are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're talking 20 inmates to two off one downstairs and usually one upstairs at the time. And, uh, it just wasn't. I mean, if they wanted to take you, you were got. So let me uh, let me dive into something here because this is a big issue right now, uh, not just in the prison system but across the nation. Uh, so what? Uh, I don't know if you're if you're under an NDA or anything like that, but what yeah. kind of do you think was the big issue that created these revolving doors where people would just where they were understaffed all the time? Was it pay? Was it the culture? Was it the hazard, what was it? There's a little bit of everything. Um, we had, uh, his name was, uh, we had a deputy warden. I won't give his name. Uh, his, actually, I will. His name was Deputy Harvonic. And uh, he come up there in our end service and told us that anybody with more than five years, they were going to run out. Because they don't want the retirements. They want to cut the retirements back. But people with let it I did not feel that I knew my job to go up for sergeant for five years. I was a corporal. I got that after year and a half, two years. But until I learned a lot of the other jobs that went with being a correctional officer, I did put in for sergeant. But you had, you know, some people that put in for sergeant the first chance they got and got. And so. Hey, Alan, I got a question for you. Um, so, I mean, you've got one guy in the yard and 50 something guys out there with him, prisoners out there with him. You guys had to have some kind of a mechanism or some kind of a tool or, or something that you used to keep those guys from recognizing or organizing or whatever they need to do to take over. I'd, I've always heard that if all the prisoners in the prison f- could get organized, there won't be enough guards to stop them. I mean, what, what, what kind of stuff did you guys do in the prison to, to, to keep that from happening? What our number one weapon, which I learned just done, you had to have OSP didn't like it, but it was my brain and my mouth because just done, you're walking in among, you know, I was on a unit of 140 inmates by myself. Uh, OSP thought I talked to inmates too much. But the only way you learn these, the only way you learn to interact with these inmates, there's difference between inmates and convicts. There, there's two different deals. Convicts are old school, you know, they, they do the, 
they do their time, try not to cause trouble, but they're going to try to get over on you. The new, these new inmates, they they're going to they're going to hurt you. They're going to do they're like BL Antifa hmm. in prisons. It's just they're that there's that much of a difference. Of them. Hmm. Um, you have to learn to talk. You have to learn to read body language. You have to learn to. Um, a correctional officer has to learn to be able to de-escalate with his voice and talking that cops a lot, that I see, you know, that you see on cops or a few other shows, sometimes they don't do. You know, you get them coming in, but you've also got COs that do that too. Like I said, I've got one up there just done. He walked, I was still a new guy. I was a skinner walking with my sergeant that night. And somebody chunked a double-A battery at him because he got onto him for smoking and more belittled him, you know, and tried to show the – it was that type A personality. He was on the CERT team. But there's no – to me, there was no reason to push like they did. You know, it's just like some cops. You just don't. They just come out thinking because they got a badge and a gun – that they're tough, you know. I will say that it does seem like any, any profession you're in, uh, you've got bad management and good management. Uh, you know, especially in prisons, yeah. you know, management would be any CO or any correctional officer that's on site. Um, and I can see how very easily it would attract people who have this faux male alpha, you know, alpha dog complex. Someone who thinks that they're Billy badass, who you know, who's just king shit and wants to be there because it gives them that God complex, that authoritarian complex where, you know, they're, you're behind a cell and I'm not and go fuck yourself and I've got power. But really, I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, it, like you said, it's 140 some inmates to want, uh, you piss off enough people. It's, it's going to be your ass, uh, on the sling. And, um, and I think you see that a lot with uh, local law enforcement as well. Some people do it legitimately because they care about the community, but some people do it because they love the fucking power. They are just so power hungry that they will do anything for the state to give them that ability to do what they want to. And you treat people like animals long enough, they're going to act like it. Animals, when they're cornered, they will attack. And, you know, I, I would say from what you're saying, Charles, it sounds like you, you know, you, went outside the mold and treated people like human beings. They're not, oh, you know, no, I screwed up. I screwed up. I've, I, I pulled the power trip a few times and I got checked <laughs> on it too, you know, but then there was, it's, uh, there's a, there is a mentality. There's a prison mentality in this that three hots in the cot, you know, you get taken care of, you know, somebody tells you, you know, if you whoop somebody long enough or if you kill somebody, you kill yourself, you can go down on H unit and have a single cell for quite a few years. Hmm. By yourself in a nice little six, uh, six by eight cell, six by 10 cell. You know, hell, it, you might, if you can catch some canteen, read some books, you get your TV. What's not to love? It's a utopia. Hmm. Never thought of it like, like like that. That's interesting. Actually, kind of a reward if you're a loner. Yeah, I mean, it's 
there is, like I said, I've, I've worked from everybody from people that got caught up from uh, bad checks to DUIs to straight up killers. There's actually, I've, I've walked OSP for five years. I walked everything from the minimum unit at Talawanda Heights that when they had it to uh, H unit. And even on death row, there was only, I'm going to say four or five inmates that actually made me nervous hmm. out of that whole prison that I met that I got that made me glad that there was somebody else with me and to a point they couldn't get to me. So there was a question I think that Rich had brought up earlier when we were texting and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think I saw federal statistics is like 46% of prisoners right now are drug offenders. So would you say that kind of reflects in the Oklahoma state system too? Were most of the people in there violent or most of them in there for more petty stuff? What did you feel like? I did not know a whole lot of, I re, a few people I, did, I, I found out what kind of case they caught, what they did out on the streets to get sent to prison. But most of the time I usually didn't ask and I didn't really want to know hmm. because come to a child molester. If I found out if you were a child, molester, you're done. I wasn't going to protect you. And I was yeah. going to damn sure make sure somebody got else got told and make sure it got told on the run. Uh, Cause to me, rapists and child molesters, you know, killing somebody for fun. Like some of these people have done, uh, you know, I can almost I can almost overlook that. Rape child molestation? No, I can't. Uh, one Drink of the, the wood chipper. It yep. just it was wood chipper go burr. Yeah, uh, one of the guys I had a run man. He was he come back. He got into OSP when he was uh, early twenties, back in the early eighties. Got caught up. He was drug addict. A big uh, heroin addict in there, but he was only supposed to do four years. Now he's doing life without because him and another guy uh, cut off the head of an inmate in the cell house and rolled and pretty much rolled it down the steps. Uh, one, my run man, good guy. I, shoot, we'd uh, Saturday on Saturdays back when I was working H unit and he was my run man. He'd pull TV out where I could watch the OU games, <laughs> but, uh, football games, you know, and turn it up. And it was just, you know, it, it was, I'm almost say family, but, you know, it was, uh, you know, I took care of them because that's, I was all they had. That was their, I fed them their showers, cleaning supplies, uh, some laundry. Little things like that. Uh, they're male, medical. Hmm. Uh, being in some of the drugs, guys, you know, uh, had one guy from Lawton who had been caught with drugs. And to me, I'm, I'm torn on that a lot. Uh, weed, something natural, I have no problem with. I used to be 100% against thinking it, everything ought to be, but more I've grown up, the more I've seen. And I just actually started using a little bit of weed, you know, 
THC, especially helping in the way I hurt from my military time. Sure. It's nothing. I don't know why I was so scared of and why, but I let the government tell me it was bad. You know, the weed monster would come get you and, you know, and it just, the worst thing I've had was panic attack and munchies. So, yeah. No, just, man, uh, the libertarian stance on that is kind of like, you know, you know, we know heroin's bad. We know, you know, meth's bad. All those things are dangerous. Our our decision is to make is is the prohibition of those things helping? Because you know, you look at those the last sixty years of the drug war, usage has gone up. There's more drugs than ever. You know, more deaths than ever. So that's kind of where we look at it. There, the other, the part I've got with that is, I can almost agree with it, and on a libertarian point of just let it all be free, but you got like the chemical of uh, meth. I've had a family member that was hooked on it at a very young age. Hmm. Luckily we got them cleaned up and they're living the right life and doing, doing, I mean, you're talking was breaking and entering and trouble with the law stealing. I mean, bad, hmm. but it's the so, like meth where it's chemically made to me. No marijuana, Cocaine, a little bit. You got heroin. You got to you got to manufacture it. Yeah, but something that's chemically made is no. That's to me that ought to be pushed out. But we also wasn't breaking down at the borders either. We wasn't locking down the southern border. The ports coming in through on the east coast, west coast, or coming through Canada. It's not well, something we so, had locked down. Hmm. So my, I mean, you, we haven't my, really tried fight it we just spend a lot of money doing different shit hmm. so my argument is uh, if anybody wants to look into this i can post articles on this uh the taliban's number one cash crop that funded their war efforts against the united states was poppy hmm. um and legalization of drugs would mean that we can simultaneously defund terror operations as well as these drug cartels so it'll basically take the fangs out of these wolves who prey on innocent people and you know, yeah, we're, we'll trade it over to the pharmaceuticals, but you know, when was the last time you seen a pharmaceutical company mowing people down the streets over a belief? They kill people right. every day by, you know, by shitty practices, but that can be handled a lot easier than drug cartels. So, uh, <laughs> that's funny. That's good. I like that. Uh, that guy, he said, uh, can you guys speak on what's going on in Candace? Uh, I'll, I'll give him credit on this one. I'll go ahead and prom- promo this. Going on in Candace right now, I said, he said, it's terrible. I said, what is that? Candace. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what the hell? Candace, poor, get a piece of you. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't get, I, don't, I don't get God a lot on those. But, I, buddy, I'll give you credit on that one. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you kudos. That's, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm I'm taxing that one, but no. So yeah. So uh, as far as uh, drugs go, I mean, self ownership is self ownership. If you're doing something bad to yourself, and I do think it falls to your family and your neighbors and your friends to help you get the treatment you need. But are you a criminal because you you know shoot heroin or smoke weed or even smoke cigarettes or uh, you drink. know drink alcohol? I mean. If you're not affecting anyone else, my stance will always be that's that's on you. 
I think if we take a tenth of the budget we spend on prisons um, to uh, reallocate that towards, uh, you know, especially because almost 50% of all prison inmates, according to the Bureau of uh, Corrections, is, you know, drug-related, non-violent drug-related offenses. I mean, that's that's easy to set up like rehab centers. And the other thing is, too, is you look, you, you legalize drugs, people are less scared to go forward and get the help they need without the threat of uh, government violence. Because if you think about it, you know, you go to someone and say, hey, I need help with drugs. They're liable to turn you into the cops and you've just admitted guilt on something, you know, com- com- admitted guilt on committing a crime. And I think a lot of people are scared of, you know, looking for help in, in the sense that there will be criminal consequences. What's 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 easier to get rid of a drug addiction or a felony? Um, right now it's the drug addiction. You can break a drug addiction, but you can't get rid of a felony. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's 10 years sober in June from heroin addiction and man, at his worst, he was skin and bones. He was stealing from everybody. He was a garbage human being, but he's about to be 10 years sober. If he would have gone to prison, I don't think it would have turned out that way. I think it would have been a completely different line of events, completely different turnout, but because he got that rehab help, because we could give him that. Yeah. You don't know how much drugs are going through these prison systems right now that are being brought in. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's another story I can tell you about that. That's a good example. I mean, people say, well, what, if we lock down the southern border, you know, we build this giant wall and keep people from coming in, the drugs will stop. They won't. I mean, prisons are the, some of the most it's, secure it'll facilities. It'll slow it down, but it's not going to stop it completely, no. Yeah, um, but, I've seen pictures of cells on Snapchat. I've seen pictures of the insides of the cells over here at OSP. Somebody I knew that was over there on Snapchat taking pictures. They got cell phones in there. Hmm. Uh, I've had uh, an inmate. We were me and another officer was working H unit down on uh, Southeast, which is the uh, no Northeast, which was DU side, and uh, the. Uh, Let's see. Wait a minute. I gotta get northwest, south, northwest, or yeah, northwest, southwest, and uh, northeast. Okay. Anyway, it uh, one of the officer was uh, out there on the run. He was handing out meals or doing something, and he come back and he says, "I just got told to get off the run," and I'm like, "That doesn't sound right." And you could just feel it in the air. You know, like when you walk into a bad situation, you can feel just that. It air, just, you can tell there's problems. There's something tension. And I, one of the inmates, been there for a while. I hit him up and I said, Can I talk to you? And he said, Yeah. Said, he gets up and uh, go out. And I said, Billy, I said, What's the, what's going on here? And he, I said, Somebody just told one, told that officer, my officer, to get off the run. I said, uh uh-uh. uh. I said, what the hell's going on here? I said, you could feel it. I said, something's going. He goes, I'm afraid to get in trouble if I say, and I don't want to say too much, but I'm afraid to get in trouble if I tell you. I said, no, if you tell me something, I'm not going to put get you in trouble. It's something that somebody acting is going to cause me to have a problem. He's like, we had some people come in last night and they snuck, they got the drugs in, and uh, we up partying all night. And I said, well, I said, need to make sure. 
I said, I'm not going to bust anybody. I'm not going to write anybody up. But I said, this shit needs to stop. He goes, let me out. Let me go and talk to a few people and pass the word. Hmm. And we'll all lay down and go to sleep. And I said, okay. After that, it, it was like just switch was turned. Everybody laid down and it was quiet. And you could have ruined you could have ruined people's lives that moment. You could have added years to their sentences. I think that you did a really good thing that day by giving them that grace and and showing them a side of humanity. Plus, you know how much paperwork, how much reporting, how much how how much shit that I could have started and brought down, and I had to work the rest of the time. Hmm. They're gonna. That was their job. Our job is to get them and to catch them at stuff. Their job is to beat us and yeah. to do their time. I'm a giant bait. You know, they they look at correctional officers. They say they're law enforcement and correctional officers. Leos look at us like we're subpar. We're just a step above an inmate to them. Hmm. Um, but, you know, kind of like I told you, you know, after a while, I would, anybody that wasn't an inmate was just an inmate that hadn't got caught unless huh. you wore a badge. You know, right. not everybody yeah. was like that, but quite a few of us were. You know, we hung out with our own cliques, you know, with our own group of officers. You didn't, you went and did your eight to 16 hours. You come home, you slept, you tried to do whatever else in the weekends. You tried to have fun, but hell, when you you know it was bad when my wife gets mad. She got mad as hell at me because when I told the kids to shut the hell up and go lock down, <laughs> the prison system got me. Yeah, like I said, thirteen doors holding an inmate in. There was twelve doors holding us. Huh. Yeah, wow. So good. That's uh, a wow. Good metaphor. I'll ask this. So. Charles, what is holding you to the GOP? Is it is it are you Stockholm syndrome? Do they have a gun to your head? Do you need help? Or uh, what what's what's holding you there? What's holding you back from freedom, my dude? From freedom, uh, mostly the ability to stand up to the GOP and the uh, swamp, as Trump put it. Hmm. Was Trump my pick? No. He he come in, he did an all right job. He wasn't the greatest, but he did it all right. He he upset the cart quite a bit. He just didn't dump it over. Hmm. Uh too many uh I'm gonna say as uh the great Eric July says, too many status in there. You know well, he's watching just, Eric July. He's he's saying he's not a libertarian, <laughs> but he's watching Eric July and quoting him. Oh, well, he's uh, their group backwards. Uh-huh. I love it. Heck yeah. But, you know, I I was, when I retired, I was sitting in here, started listening to YouTube, was listening to music. And that come across, I went, what the hell is that? And then I got to listening, and it's like, good music? What's the message again? Started reading the words. The hell? Looked him up. Ancap Libertarian. The hell's an ANCAP? <laughs> I, didn't I didn't go down that rabbit hole, but I was like, okay. I don't agree with everything, but, you know, it was, uh, like I said, I'm more of 
I've listened to Glenn Beck for since I, probably 2005, 2006. And it's got me to some of it I agree with it, some of it I don't. That he, like he says, but he's I've like well like him, I've, my opinion started changing from learning a lot more of my history, learning a lot more of how the government, where I used to say of government, was meant to take care of us to help us, has now been proven to screw us every chance they get. Mm. It's about those in power who want to keep power and to keep us being ATM machines to them. Well, if, if you want to talk, uh, let's talk about ANCAP real quick. Uh, the the sign of a well-studied libertarian is about six months after joining the LP, they go full anarchy. Uh, but to if you think about it, to a lot of statists, anarchy is this dirty word that it's it's Mad Max. It's It's this dystopian future where criminals run the street. But if you think about it, it's really not because it's it's holding personal accountability on your own level. It's holding, you know, being able to defend yourself. It's living the life that you want to live without the threat of government violence. Um, and, you know, this this may be a poor example, but if you look at the West, you know, when it was being settled, the violence that it had, you know, it's not much. It's it's it was higher than what we have now. But it's not this, you know, this portrayal that you see in the movies or the shows where you walk out on Main Street and two guys are just Uh-oh. shooting it up all the time. That was a rare occurrence, you know. And these odd, you know, idols, uh, these uh, idols uh, like, you know, uh, Doc Holliday and uh, all of them, you know, they were just as much criminals as the guys that they were hunting down. But anarchy yeah. is basically no master. You are the master of your own self, the the controller of your own life. And that's really what the United States was founded on. And some point along the way, and I will say it's probably somewhere in the 60s, 50s or 60s, we started believing that the state is responsible for our safety and well-being. And it may be because of World War II where uh, there's this great rally you know, for nationalism and national pride. Um, and we never were founded to be this nation that believed in the federal government. We, we fought an entire war to tell a centralized government to go fuck itself. Uh, we, we, we fought a war Yeah, Not Greg's back. I love Greg. He's, he's always here with the stats. I'm going to argue even earlier. I'm saying at least 1913 and even earlier than that, I'd argue. Actually, it started, uh, I'm learning a little more. Uh, it actually started with, uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah, he, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good history. There's an argument that for that is, one. That is that went uh, before because he's we were the Constitution. You know, I'm I'm a I believe in the Constitution. I believe in that we should have a military. Supporting the military is hard now. When you look at the Army recruiting video they just put out here a couple of days ago, have you seen that? No, it's a cartoon. Uh, I gotta look this up. Oh, oh God. yes, yes. Well, te- technically, the army is like a cartoon. It, it's it's all bullshit, and it's, it, it maybe it's, is, but we should. I I believe we should have. And I talked with Will about this that night at the uh, rally. You know, it it said the Constitution. It only the only thing we're supposed to have 
We ain't supposed to have a standing army. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. a Navy. So why not roll everybody into the Department of Navy like the Marine Corps is? Well, so it, if you look at how we fought wars prior to uh, World War II and then prior, we right. didn't have a standing tax rate that funded continual wars, that funded this ginormous no. war machine. You know, we, we had a we had bases here in the U.S., and we had uh, war bonds for, you know, World War One, World War Two. Prior to that, you know, uh, we would do, like, maybe if it needed to be, there was short taxes. You know, the Whiskey Rebellion was a right. tax on whiskey. But we're, we're not... The the intent behind was it the sixteenth amendment, uh, no thirteenth amendment for taxation, I believe it is, uh, was never intended to be a standardized tax that was year long and you paid it every single year. It was to basically pay for things if it was really needed, if it was drastically needed, like you know, like say Canada got froggy and they ran out of syrup and they needed to invade the United States. Uh, you know, it was to it was to handle stuff like that if if war right. bonds weren't enough, but it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be this continuous taxation. It wasn't. Our founding fathers would shit a brick house in the woods on top of a mountain oh, if they yeah. knew that we had as many bases overseas as we did. We oh, yeah. are what we be we we are what we fought. You know, we we have become the global. Yeah, and why do we need a base in Germany? Hitler's been dead seventy five years, or you know, if you, I love the, I love the show. It's it's called Hunting Hitler on uh, Amazon, and there's yeah. evidence that Hitler made it out. Love that, but still, uh, but I, see, dude, I'm, I'm in. I can, I can, I, I see your point. I can, I, but I kind of disagree with it. I think should we have bases overseas? Yeah, uh, like a. The stuff going over on, uh, say, Georgia or uh, Yugoslav or uh, Ukraine. You know, half of Ukraine is our kind of our allies. The other half is with Russia. You know, if they wanted us to have a base there to to me the for our presence, to me, I said, why not? Are they paying for it? One and two. Are they volunteers? Because that's the thing. If you sign up to defend the Constitution, I don't think you should be defending Korea. Now, if they want to pay, like, Blackwater to come over and defend their country, I say hell yeah. So here's my question then, Charles. Would you be okay with Germany setting up a base here in the U.S. or uh, the Ukrainians setting up a base here in the U.S.? Or... any nation that we are, we have a base right. founded in. Would you be okay with this? No. I'd go no. <laughs> yes, and that my argument, therefore, is we see a lot of these bases are contractually obligated. Like we're, the reason right. we're in Germany was because of post World War II, but we're still there. Okinawa, uh, Japan, Japan, same way, same thing. Hmm. We're in these positions because we're not funding our own national defense. Let me be very clear about something. Russia has no intention of invading the United States. They didn't, like, when the Soviet Union fell, it turns out that they had no battle plans to invade the United States. You know why? Because they understood that it's fucking impossible. You've got, like, Americans make it a sport to shoot each other in the streets. What do you think is going to happen if we rally against a common enemy? 
They're yeah. fucked. Like the I Japanese agree. were scared to fucking death of invading the United There'll States. Be a rifle behind every blade of grass. That's what Adam. Yeah. Yeah, Damn right. I mean, they're scared to fucking death of us. I mean, and that might be that might be arrogant, and that might be egotistical, but um, it it really. I mean, it's honestly the, the God's honest truth is I I don't think they have any intention of coming here. Uh, Europe has how many member nations? You know, the EU has how many member nations? If they can't fight off Russia on their own, maybe they deserve to be communists. I mean, hell, half of them are heading that way anyways. I mean... Yeah. Uh, have you seen where... Uh, you Have you read or heard about the letter from uh, the retired generals and admirals wrote to uh, the administration? Well, no. uh, talking about how the Marxists... Uh, ideas are taking over the military and fixing to destroy us from and they're warning it and we're talking about how officers are going to be leaving people are going to be leaving the military um, I just read on the Daily Wire from here probably this week sometime uh, a bunch of them from France just did the same thing said, uh, to Macron and uh, told him says you need to stop the Islamists from the inside, you're destroying this, and you're fixing to cause a civil war. Hmm. You know, and they said you gave up just like you did to the Germans. You're giving up to the Islamists. You know. Well, I, I will say that socialism requires nationalism. You have to have this pride in your country in order to support na- uh, socialism. They, they'll never call it nationalism, but you got to. It's this idea that the government can control us and take care of us better than we can do it ourselves. That's nationalism. If you look at the, you know, I hate, I hate doing these world war two analogies, but if you look at the national socialist party of Germany in the 1930s and forties, they were, they were nationalists. They had very high national pride, but they had a lot of social programs. You know, there was a lot of like publicly funded schools, publicly funded hospitals, um, shit like that. Socialism requires this, this unbridled trust. It's almost, so, for example, uh, the reason communism worked as long as it did in Russia is because they get rid of religion. They get rid of all religion. The mm-hmm. only religion is the state. Yeah. Socialism and nationalism require the same thing. We got rid of family. That's what the whole comrade thing was about, is they wanted to break down every relationship besides the country, besides the nation. Well, you they, they promoted family because they understood that you needed the next generation to grow up. But the the thing was is that everybody was extended family. That's the difference. Yes. See, like like your neighbor is like your cousin or your brother, but it they did promote like the 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 what we would call the nuclear family, like a mother, father, and kids, huh. because they understood that you had to have that structure in order to survive as a nation. We're we're actually losing that here in the United States. We're 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 breaking down. Last year was the first year we've had a, a net loss in population growth, like meaning uh, we have 1.8 children born uh, per population density last year, so meaning we were losing people. So it requires two people to have a child. That means that we lost 0.2 of population for those people. So we're not increasing or maintaining our population. Hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the, the loss of the nuclear family. It, okay, we can go into that. That's a fucking hour long talking point right there but uh socialism requires so basically if you look at the united states right now we're very socialist 
We've got yeah. healthcare programs that are socialist. We've got education that's socialist. We've got the, the entire military is a socialist program. You've got healthcare, education, uh, your paycheck, all of it's socialist. Uh, I mean, we're, we're far more socialist than people will agree on. And I'll take a jab here, but the, the Republicans are very complacent with it. They're Republicans, basically, Democrats and Republicans are the same. They're, they're on the same stretch of road. It's just the Republicans follow the speed limit, and the Democrats yes. do not. Yes. That's a good, yeah, that's great. I heard I mean, said one time that, uh, what's the difference between Democrats and Republicans? They said Democrats want socialism. Republicans want it next Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate too. I heard something that they uh, the Republicans are pretty much asking for the exact same thing the Democrats were twenty years ago. If you look at it, which is very yeah, accurate. Limit. Which is the thing is, yeah, they're just gonna. I mean, they want to stand for freedom and stuff, but they'll erode those freedoms. They're just gonna do it just slow enough so people don't catch on as quickly. Hey, you right. guys are well, go ahead, go ahead. You look at every single major gun piece of legislation or piece of gun legislation. I got that dick lick ass going on. Uh, uh, but if you look at every major piece of gun legislation, the the most prominent one I can think of is Reagan. Uh, you know he he did so much damage to gun culture, especially in California. There was n- almost no gun laws in California, and then Re- Reagan became governor, and then signed piece after piece after piece of legislation banning guns in California. Now look where they're at. I mean, basically, have you seen an AR-15 that's legal in California? It looks like a toy. It looks like a plastic toy. It's got a little thumb hole, and you can barely reach the trigger. And dude, it's the it's the grossest thing I've ever seen. And Republicans talk about, oh well, the Democrats are going to take our guns, but Trump banned bump stocks. He increased the size of the ATF. Reagan did the same thing. Bush signed the uh, the Patriot Act. It they're they're the same two sides who are dividing people. It's easier to conquer a nation when the two sides have you divided against your neighbor. Good yeah. cop, bad cop. Well, hey, I'll tell you what you do. Look, look, sometime Google, you can read it for free on Google. There's a chapter in a, a book that F.A. Hayek wrote. But if you Google why I'm not a conservative, Hayek makes this, the point that the, the difference between liberals and conservatives uh, or progressives, I should say, and, and conservatives is progressives are all about – wanting to change things, pursuing what they think is something better. They're not afraid to try new things, that kind of stuff. And the conservatives want to conserve what exists already. And so every time the left moves the ball to the left, the right claims that they're going to bring, you know, get America back where it was or whatever. But really all they want to do is stop it where it's at and keep it. They don't like change. He does a lot better job than me of explaining it. But once I read that, that's when I realized, I said, okay, the right's not going to do this. The right is not going to accomplish anything that they say they're going. And a great example of it that happened when I first realized this was was, uh, when they talked about um, um, Obamacare, getting rid of Obamacare, right? And so they were all going to get rid of Obamacare. And then they got control, and it went from we're going to get rid of it to we're going to get rid of the parts that are bad, but we're going to keep some of it. You know, I forget what the, they, 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 call, they called, they uh, called uh, it something. They're going to replace they got, it. Anyway. They, they were going to stop it and replace it because they didn't want to get rid of that. Um, what was that? Uh, uh, pre, uh, pre-existing conditions part of it. You know what I mean? Right. 
But I had just they, looked they at that and I looked and I said, this is exactly what's going on right here. They're more afraid of change than they are stopping the left. And that's why the left's winning. That's yeah, they 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 were they were looking to Greg the, right. Yeah, Greg. Oh, dude, I fucking love Greg. Greg he will correct me a hundred times out of a hundred if he can. And I appreciate it. I, I'm willing to be wrong about anything, uh, which is fine. But, um, yeah, I think the big thing that they pushed against, which I I agreed with, actually, was uh, getting rid of that, that mandate where if you didn't have insurance at all, if you opted out of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act and your employer provided health insurance, you had that fucking tax, that tax burden. Well, yeah, okay, I can't afford health insurance, so just go ahead and take some more of my fucking money. That makes sense. That was ridiculous. That's, that's, yeah, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's like saying, "Hey, man, you make twenty thousand a year. Well, you're too poor, so I'm gonna go ahead and take some more money uh, because we can't have poor people in this country. You got to be Nancy Pelosi, sixteen thousand dollars worth of refrigerators rich. Yeah, otherwise, we don't like you." That's it. He just that just messed me up. I lost my train of thought on that. <laughs> Charles, Charles is like, man, I'm like, I'm towing the waters of libertarian, and we're like, we're like uh, mermaids. We just drug his ass to the deep part of the ocean, <laughs> and we beat the shit out of him with libertarian. It's like, yeah, damn, they, motherfucker. I warned him. I gave him a full out. I said, hey, this is a libertarian <laughs> podcast. I know you're not. I know you're not full on, but you like Eric July. You'll you'll fit in enough to have some conversations with us, no doubt. I, it's. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. A lot of it in because of the way our country is now is because people are more worried about their lives than they are about the government. It's uh-huh. more of let me live and they're taking care of it. I don't wanna deal with it. Yeah. And I did that for many years. I for God, up until I really started paying attention back when Clinton was in because I was in the army then and the shit he did, uh, it just wasn't, you know, I didn't like it way he did the military. And, uh, now it's like, I don't care a lot about federal. It's all about the state of Oklahoma and the city I live in that Mm -hmm. I want to keep. I want to have freedom. I want to, because the less rules there are, the easier it's going to run. That's right. I'll say two You're things to that. We call ourselves the party of principle for a reason. Because even when it doesn't affect us, we get our asses out and we fight. Because if we if we see somebody doing something that is against our principles, we're going to stand up against it. Secondly, we believe in this concept called localism, which is extremely libertarian. And, you know, Spike Cohen talks about it a lot, but we feel like we got to focus on the city on the state first, you know, everyone comes around every four years when we have a presidential election and that's when they want to get involved in politics. And sure, that's great. That's when the media brings attention to it. But what really matters is getting good freedom minded people, libertarians elected every two years, your city council and your school board. Exactly. In your state, you know, and that's the thing that's really going to change stuff. And really that'll get us uh, hopefully, you know, we had in Oklahoma, we almost had a law passed that would have nullified any federal law we didn't like. I mean, we were this close except for one crap Senator, which is why we were at that rally, Charles, but uh, Greg treat, 
But uh, we were this close to having a power to tell the federal government no as a state. So, I mean, we're getting there. But here's – and, like, I don't know if we talked about it that night. I know I did with a few other guys there. But where's the – Where's the point of Kansas did that? Like with their suppressor law. Mm-hmm. Look what happened to that uh, vet up there. He ended up uh, getting four years of, he's a convicted felon now, can't even own guns or nothing because Kansas made a law that said that as long as you made a suppressor and it did not leave the state, it didn't have to be done. They come in and they, they, they torched him. We need sheriffs and police departments that are willing to stand up to the feds and say, hey, if you touch a Kansan or if you touch an Oklahoman within our borders, you're going to our prisons. And, I mean, maybe that's going to start some kind of proxy war. Maybe that's going to start something. But that's the stand people are going to have to make eventually. They're not going to want to get rid of the money. How much money that the government, the federal government, gives down to law enforcement and the the Department of Education. True. And all these so they're not going to, you know, it's, it'd be standing on your principal at your job and then lose your paycheck. True. So, That's it. Well, how do you, I will you say know, that. where do you fight this? How do you fight it? Especially into a two-party system, and this is where we were kind of going earlier, is to, we're in a two-party system. How could, how can a libertarian stand up against either one of the big, the you know, the big two? So here's, here's, uh, something to ponder at um if you're worried about funding uh it's probably because you're wasting those funds if you look at how much money states use uh in in tax revenue uh the vast majority of it's wasted the dod spends what close to a trillion dollars a year on bullshit they they had a one billion dollar project to replace acus about five six years ago and it basically came up with nothing. They had no uniforms. They had no design, no nothing. And people were like, okay, we're good with that. Billion dollars. We don't need it. We've got a trillion dollars. Who gives a shit? It, it, the problem with the government is that they've got this guaranteed cash flow. I mean, I would love to run a business. Like, I run a gun store here. I would fucking love to have a guaranteed paycheck. Like, I don't have to worry about it. If I don't have enough money, I'll just go tell my neighbor he has to give me some. I mean, that's that's what taxation is. It is theft. I mean, yes, but <laughs> it, it, it comes down to, uh, you know, so there's a uh, a a local affiliate in another state. Um, I think it's Murfreesboro, but it's not Tennessee. Um, I, I can't remember what state it's in, but they did this thing. They did this like social experiment where they set up this table and they created this the medium income for the average American family. We're not talking like people who make a million dollars. We're talking like people who are making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year or less. They took the median household income, two adults, two kids, and broke it down what their tax burden was. Um, and then they gave people monopoly money, which which is pretty much what fiat is anymore. But uh. And they, they had these jars set up that went, was like ones for schools, ones for jails, ones for police, ones for local library. Uh, they had like a whole table of these jars set up. They found out 
that people were willing to donate more money out of their own pocket. Like if they didn't have to, if they weren't forced into paying taxes, schools would be better funded now under that program than taxation is. And it's because people get to choose where the money goes. If they don't like the program, they're not going to spend their money on it. And you'll see a lot of these, like, so because back down to the, the, uh, you know, the, Oh, what about my roads thing? Well, you can still have roads. I mean, trucking companies require roads to, to operate. You know, Walmart has to have roads to get their product there. Amazon does. You know, every major corporation requires these highways and roads. It, it, and if you look at, it was a Domino's or Papa John's, y'all can correct me. One of the two uh, had this program. Yeah. Had this program. Yeah. So then potholes. Smitty will set you straight. Yeah, he set me straight here. What is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. No, it, it is it is both of them because they're both treated the same now under federal law. Uh, alcohol and tobacco is both limited to twenty one years of age. So the government's absolutely fine with you fighting their bullshit war. Uh, you know, fighting for poppy fields for the CIA over in Afghanistan. But how dare you smoke a cigarette and have a beer? Oh yeah. See, when I was when I went to the Marine Corps back in '87, uh, something I did not know. As long as you had a green military ID card, you know, you put your name on the dotted line, went through boot camp and everything, you could drink beer on base. You could drink huh. beer. You couldn't drink hard liquor, but you could drink beer. I think back then, when there there was a differential on ages for beer and liquor, wasn't there? It wasn't 21 for both of them. It was uh, 18, 18, 18 for beer. For beer and uh, uh, 21 for hard liquor. Because when I was there at uh, Camp Pendleton, the infantry school, they were, they were like, you want a beer? And I'm like, I'm not 21. You've got a green ID card. You don't need it. You can drink beer. Damn, I never heard uh, that. Picture here, picture here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's an old go. law that they've, they got rid of that quick. Yeah, because yeah. you can't have Americans doing what they want to. Uh, that's that's oh, No, you, you got to micromanage this shit. You know, you can't say we're we're grown up and handle, you know, million dollar weapon systems, but we can't have <laughs> beer. We can't eat our room. Old enough to risk yeah, your life, dying combat. Oh yeah, you, you you want a cigarette? Best I can do is PTSD. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on the caucus page tomorrow. That's a great move. <laughs> great move. And it's really, it really is sad and depressing, but it, it, it does come down to the two party system has created this cult. It's, it's created two it cults. It's, it's created this cultist mind mentality. And I, I, I will be the first person I used to buy into that bullshit. It didn't matter what they were saying. And like I talked about earlier on a, an episode earlier today, it doesn't, for a lot of people, it's lazy politics. They don't give a shit what you're saying. In the state of Tennessee, Donald Trump could come down here and say that he's going to legalize pedophilia and punch uh, punch a, a, a nun in the face. <laughs> and, but as long as he's got that R next to his name, people will still vote for him. They don't give really? a shit because it's lazy politics. It's it's RD. That's all they care about. What do you think about all the and, stuff he did do? He mocked a paraplegic reporter and made fun of his disability. I mean, come on. Like, that'd be a game changer for anybody with with morality but you got yeah it's he's the republican man 
I, I will say I did find uh, his first campaign slightly entertaining. Oh yeah, I'm I'm it's a piece of shit. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that last town hall he did with Hillary Clinton, where he was like, "Here's all the women your husband slept with." I was like, "Damn, that's fucked up." <laughs> Let me see how this goes. See, Rich, you may be you may be uh you got the age. Do you remember Ron, uh, not Ron Paul? Uh, what was his name down there in uh, Texas? Run oh, for Rossboro. Uh, yeah, first, I remember first vote I ever cast was for Rossboro. Huh. I, I I wanted him to win until he tweaked out and lost it and backed out. You know, it, pressure got to him or something. It makes me wonder now, knowing the way the government works, did somebody threaten him? Did they offer him something? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't paying attention to anything he said. I mean, I remember he he couldn't get in a debate or something. Um, had a had a, a paper board he was drawing stuff on, and uh, I didn't. None of it made any sense to me. But he looked like my grandfather, so I liked him. So I voted for him. <laughs> it was I, I do want to pick between them Democrats and Republicans. Joe. People cast votes for worse reasons than that. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to say that I, my 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 throw in there was Rutherford B Hayes. That's why I'm fucking dying laughing. I, I assume nobody caught that. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to call rich old is that what that was yes i think i got a few uh, years on rich and i, I was like that's before my time <laughs> uh, dude look um i'm non-discriminatory i will shit on anybody including <laughs> myself I, I hate look nobody can hate me more than i hate me so uh it, it's fair game all right it's all right <laughs> I'm trying to be polite since this is our first go around with this. Just wait until it get really good. Nah, fuck it. Just, just gu- suns out, guns out, moons out, oh, guns God. out. Let's do it. <laughs> We've crossed that time again, Chris. What are you thinking? Uh, Will's, Will's over. Here. He's like, uh, he's the he's the timekeeper. He's he's the timekeeper until it comes to being on here. But uh, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, it is that time. We're at an hour and six minutes, and my wife is probably going to fucking murder me when I go upstairs because I've gone over it. <laughs> but, Charles, I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, Enjoyed this. Well, Lit Rich, myself, there's no such thing as a real libertarian, and I appreciate the hell out of y'all. See y'all later. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles. Be good, y'all.